Hello, friends, and welcome to this hot type edition of the StoryForge podcast. I'm Lyle Smith, your host, and if you're a golf fan or a fan of sports and international sports or a fan of international intrigue, you may be following a story that broke about 36 hours ago. Uh, The not-for-profit PGA Tour and the Saudi government-funded Live Golf Tour have apparently come to an agreement to merge uh, after a year and a half uh, or so of truly venomous confrontation and existential speculation. It seems the deal was reached quietly in some sort of a backroom situation without informing the PGA Tour players, most of whom are anywhere between shocked and awed to feeling utterly betrayed by their leadership in the form of Jay Monahan. Uh, I covered the Live uh, launch in an episode a while back, and as a result, I feel compelled to do a little thinking about what this means in the spirit of our theme of making things matters, because I do believe golf matters in the world uh, and in larger ways than just a professional league. People over a wide variety of specialties are commenting on the development, and the golf blogo, podcasting, and Twitter spheres are all lit up with all sorts of special and emergency episodes trying to figure out just what happened and what it all means to those of us who follow the sport. Uh, Political strategist Steve Schmidt wrote a piece yesterday saying Jay Monahan and the PGA Tour have exposed themselves as traitors to the country and their players and fans by committing to to working with the murderous Saudi government, and uh, and it is a murderous government. Uh, Golf Channel analyst Brandel Chambly uh, called it a dark day for golf. PGA champion uh, and live golfer Brooks Kepka made fun of Brandel. Uh, Phil Mickelson gloated on his social media outlets, seemingly reveling in his belief that he's been right all along, and maybe he was, partly. But I think that that falls into a category of just because you can do something doesn't mean you should, Uh, but more on that later. Uh, None other than Jack Nicklaus himself called the development Good for golf. I presume this perspective is as an advocate of peace and tranquility among the players uh, in a hope that we can all get back to playing the game. Thank you very much. As for me, I can't help but notice there are a couple of very big things they're all ignoring, at least so far. What does this mean to us, the people who play golf, watch golf, share golf days with our friends, and what that might look like in the future. I feel like the leaders in these areas of the sport often forget us in their ever-watchful focus on the bottom line. Uh, So far, what I'm seeing and hearing is most of the opinionators and so-called experts are focused on what they always seem to focus on, namely the money or the scale of the deal or the business implications of the deal, even if they don't have a business background themselves. Uh, it's a bit of a fetish, really, and it's based. Uh, it's all based on speculation because the details of the deal are still up in the air. For example, uh, these two tours have been in a legal battle for more than a year, making pretty aggressive antitrust arguments against each other. If they come together, what will the Department of Justice and Federal Trade Commission have to say about it? Will they even allow it? The journeyman pros are basically under threat, it seems to me, and they always are, which is no surprise, really. Uh, Live CEO Greg Norman has wanted to create this kind of stratified structure since the 90s, where the big stars uh, play for the big money uh, and everybody else plays for the crumbs on the floor. 
In an age where the most inspiring story of the most recent PGA championship was a guy named Michael Block, uh, a working club pro who made the cut and finished in the top 15 to secure an invitation to next year's championship beyond all expectations for him. Uh, There were tears of joy and cheers and an underdog spirit pulsing through the crowd on the ground and the viewership at home all week. But the golf leaders seemed to have no interest in that at all which, in my opinion, is maybe the way to save the whole thing with the fans. And then there's the Saudi involvement. Also nothing new. They've been buying their way into a better reputation through sport for years. A nation who very visibly killed Washington Post journalist Jamal Khashoggi, dismembering him with a bone saw in their consulate, reportedly under the direction of the crown prince himself. Involved in the 9-11 attacks, bombings, terrorist activity, human rights abuses to their own people. But they have a lot of oil to sell, so we should be okay with it, right? They bought Newcastle United in the Premier League. They bought large swaths of Formula One racing. They bought boxing and cricket and even parts of the NBA, all so they could hobnob with owners and sponsor CEOs and somehow try and gain legitimacy in the world business community. It's just business, some say. But this, it seems to me, is different. This is deeper. They have involved themselves not just with individual events or teams or players, uh, which they've done for years. They have attempted to get involved in the management of an entire sport top to bottom, where most of the athletes, well, all of the athletes, are independent contractors. A sport that significantly is built on calling penalties on yourself. This has the potential to impact the governing bodies of the sport and change it for the rest of us forever. So many experts are speculating on the investment part uh, of the Saudi public investment fund, so-called experts, um, as if investing is what they're doing. They are not They are spending money in an effort to wash their international reputation. This will fail because they are not really interested in changing. The crown prince says he wants to westernize the economy of Saudi Arabia, but they still deny their own people free expression. They suppress opposition and deny people the right to protest. They support what basically amounts to slave labor. They deny women the right to be educated, to drive, to do anything on their own. The male guardianship laws basically treat them as property. Forget about being gay. Cruel and unusual punishment is the norm for many crimes, and a presumption of innocence doesn't exist. The PIF, the PIF, is an arm of this government, and its purpose is to spend their way out of responsibility for their actions and policies. Supporting this regime in any way is supporting these things. The PGA Tour or any organization making a deal with this regime may, in fact, be making something that matters, but it is absolutely not making something of integrity and value. And I, for one, am not likely to support it. There are fans who have no problem with any of this and say, just show me the golf. But I'm conflicted. Do I watch anyway? I didn't watch many regular tour events lately, mostly just the majors. Do I boycott them, knowing that my solo protest will have little impact? 
Do I continue to remind people who the sponsor is and what they do in an attempt to derail the sports washing? I don't know. But I don't feel good about any of it. Liv promoted itself largely on the idea that they would be working to grow the game. A total canard. Grow the game. To Greg Norman means grow the money available for the stars to win. Grow the money available for the sports leaders to take home and derail the power of the PGA Tour. He's made no secret of his opinions over the years. But at the expense of what? The game is much, much more than just the professional game. There are 25.6 million people in the U.S. who play golf. There are an estimated 66.6 million worldwide, most of whom don't care much about the week-to-week results of the PGA Tour. Some pay attention to the four majors, but not all of them. They play golf, pay greens fees, belong to clubs, share mornings and afternoons with their friends and families. They buy clubs and balls and shoes, but most not every year. They love to get outdoors and chase that little white ball around the big green field. Growing the game is about these people, not purses. There are places in Scotland where golf is at the core of the village life. It is not about elevated events where we watch the same 50 millionaires play against each other 30 weeks out of the year. It's so much bigger than that. Jay Monahan and some of these others see themselves as saving the game, but they're not. They're stratifying a game that was born and developed in Scotland 500 years ago, one that was first played in St. Andrews, the home of golf, in 1400 AD, the first open championship at Prestwick in 1860. The first public golf course in America was Van Cortland Park in the Bronx, opened in 1895. Golf was free unless you hired a caddy. They still play public golf there today. Growing the game is about these places. I've played rounds and rounds and rounds with my friend when the topic of the latest tour event never comes up. We love it and are interested in it, especially in the context of the game's history, but in the end, we care about being able to tee it up ourselves a lot more than whether Bryson and Brooks are getting along or not. Most of us are more concerned about the green airification schedule this fall than what date the Ryder Cup starts. I think our golf journalists are missing a massive opportunity in the way they're covering the game we love this week. Take some time to think about the people who play and love the game rather than the executives and interlopers at the gates. However this deal shakes out in the end, if they make something people don't want to watch, it will be an embarrassing problem for them. The product Liv created was not a good one. Their inability to generate a TV deal or audience proves it. Nobody cares, not even the biggest fans. It's clear the Saudis are using these players to further their agenda. If they get big paydays, more power to them, but I don't really care. The biggest strength of professional golf has always been the idea that the best players are playing the same game we play. Even if they hit the ball farther and have sometimes more almost superhuman skills, we recognize the game that they play 
as the same game we're playing on a Saturday morning with our friends. The mistakes they make are always in separating us from the best players in this way. And this deal is no different. Presuming it goes through, and there's no guarantee that it will, I, like everyone else who cares about this game, will be watching to see what it turns into and to see if they're making something that matters to me. If you find yourself enjoying the StoryForge podcast and embracing the idea that making things matters, give us a review at Apple Podcasts or wherever it is you listen to these things. It helps others find the show and hopefully enjoy it as much as you do. The StoryForge is presented by NimbleSmith, the content marketing agency. That's NimbleSmith, spelled with a Y, dot com. All recording, editing, interviewing, scheduling, and executive producing tasks are handled by yours truly, your host. This podcast would not be possible without the sincerely excellent help of our friend and producer, Anthony Sergi of Dynamic Art and Motion, who makes a number of other fantastic podcasts that matter, including a guest in the house about all things hip-hop and the career chat room hosted by HR pro Aaron Sergi. Music for the program is from the Jody Nardone Trio, Lights Will Guide You Home album. And if you like what we're doing, please share the Story Forge link far and wide and tell all your friends about us. And you can always send us questions or suggestions through the Tell Us Your Link, uh, Tell Us Your Story link on the website. Or support us on our new Patreon site. You can learn more at patreon.com slash makingthingsmatters. Or just shop our store on the website at thestoryforge.com. That's story uh, separated by hyphens, the hyphen story hyphenforge.com and click the shop link at the top of the page. Thank you for listening. Crazy!